So it was about 20 years ago when I was working a really good job, but I just felt like there was something that wasn't being completed in me. I started talking to my pastor at my church at the time about what it would mean for God to call me into ministry. He said, well, why don't you think about seminary? So I started at Fuller Seminary in 2004 and loved it. And my pastor and I at the time, we kept talking and we started dreaming about what things could look like when I finished. Um, that maybe I could go into ministry with him at that church. And I remember the moment when um, that plan like, just became crystal clear for me. Well, then around 2010, um, and actually the years leading up to that, that church at the time was going through some pretty big shifts that didn't really fit with me anymore. And I eventually left that church in 2010. At the same time, I was trying to find a new church, which was really difficult. And that took a couple of years before I landed at Casas. You know, as I trusted God through that, it, was, it wasn't always easy. And that dream, the great plan that, that we had started to look a lot more tenuous. And that was a really tough moment. It, it was the end of a dream, really. I was hurt. It was probably the darkest part of my journey with God. But at the end of the day, the only thing I really could do was just trust that God had something in mind for it. Then things just started happening really fast. At the same time, I started getting more involved at CASAS, volunteering and serving in different areas. And those same feelings that I'd had before were still there. In March of 20, um, I joined the staff here. Now, looking back, I can, I can see God at work in so many different ways, even at my previous church. And even with that disappointment and with my plan kind of shattering and falling to the floor, how much that was preparing me in different ways to work in ministry and especially to be an executive pastor. It wasn't until I stopped trying so hard that things started to happen. Good morning. <clears throat> Today we conclude this series called Not For Nothing and in week one, Glenn talked about the truth that your life is not for nothing. It's a precious gift and it's meant to be fully lived and it's yours. Week two, I got the privilege of being able to talk with you about this idea that you're uniquely created, <clears throat> you're uniquely sustained to live the life that only you will live and that that matters. And today we're gonna talk about this idea that uh, suffering, hardship, disappointment, hard things that we go through in our life, those things are not for nothing. And I hope that it, it comes to be a blessing to you. And I hope that you come to see that no moment is ever wasted or truly lost because God doesn't waste anything. You know, I, when I knew I was going to be talking about this topic, I thought to myself, who has a story that might display this in a way that we can step back and see the whole story, not just a singular moment, but kind of a bigger picture. And I thought to myself, Miles would be a really good person to ask. Miles is our executive pastor here at the church. If you don't know Miles and you see him walking around, Introduce yourself if you want to. Say hi. I know sincerely that he would love to meet you uh, and get to know you. But I wanted Miles to share his story because he has a story where early in his life, much like what you just heard, 
he felt like God wanted him to do something, felt like there was something good and beautiful in his life for him to step into. And then he took that step, and that's a big deal, right, to, to step into something. And I don't just mean ministry, like it was for him. For you guys, it may be whatever the thing you think God is, is moving in you. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it's big, but it takes courage, doesn't it, to take a step like that. And he, he stepped into it and, and began to pursue it. Now, I want you to imagine being in the middle of seminary which is a lot of study, a lot of work, a lot of effort, while simultaneously working full-time as an engineer, leading teams and doing all kinds of stuff, right? That's a lot, isn't it? There'd be a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, a lot of things you'd have to walk through. And then I want you to imagine that you start to get to where you can see that finish line ahead of you, and you're almost there. And in right about at that moment is the time that Miles realized that the church that he had been moving towards being a pastor at, the whole reason that he had gone to seminary, all these things that he'd sought to do, wasn't an option anymore. You ever have that moment where you stare at your life and the thing that was really solid a moment ago where you had passion and energy and you were moving towards it or this good thing that you were holding, the next thing you know, it's just not or it breaks. See, I wanted Miles to share this because I think he knows what it is to walk through a moment where it feels like life starts to fall apart he knows what it is to ask the, look at that moment and ask the question, wait, was this all for nothing? Right? Was, was this whole thing, was this all for nothing? And is what I'm going through now for nothing? See, life doesn't always work the way we'd planned, does it? Think about your own life. If you look back at the history of your own life, I bet you didn't write that story like early on. I bet you it's had all kinds of twists and turns and unexpected things. Life rarely goes as we plan. Part of the unplanned part of life that no human being really ever escapes is the fact that we all know what it is to hurt sometimes. We all know what it is to go through something hard, to be disappointed, to suffer, as a passage we'll look at today talks about. And there's a part of us in those moments, we didn't plan it, we didn't want it, and yet it seems like it's an inevitability. And in those moments, when the thing that you were moving towards is no longer there, when something starts to fall apart, when something ends that mattered to you, when something changes that surprised you and you weren't ready for it and you didn't want it and you're sitting there looking at it, it's so easy to step back and look at just life and look at where you are and look at the things you're walking through and go, wait, is, is this for nothing? And to ask that question very honestly. It's an honest question that I think most of us have asked, or if we're honest, most of us will come to ask. You're gonna have a moment that doesn't make sense to you. You're gonna have a moment that you walk through and it just feels like a fog or like a cloud and you're not sure where you are in it. I'm guessing most of us have asked or will ask at some point, is this moment for nothing? The good news is, and I wanted to start right off the bat with that in this message, there's a, a verse in your Bible that answers this question pretty de definitively. Romans chapter eight, verse 28 says this. It says, and Paul is writing, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are col called according to his purpose. Friends, there's this truth that we hold. That God is working all things together for good. The good and the bad. We always look and we're like, see, there was that good moment and that good moment and that good moment. And we tether the intuition together and we go, do you see what God was doing? When do you ever do that with suffering? And yet, what does it say? He's working all things. What things? All things. That's the good, that's the bad, that's all of it. Which means that there's no moments that's ever truly lost. One of my favorite quotes, and I, I say this or think through this at least once a week, it's just worked out that way for me. It's this, nothing is ever wasted in God's economy. No moment is ever wasted in God's economy. What that means is, is all of this, the sum total of all the experiences and moments and things that are in your life, all of that get used somehow. God, from the very beginning of time to the very end of time, is telling a large redemptive story 
through us, through so many different things about his love and his grace and his goodness in this world. And he's using all things to work together for good. And for those of us who love him, for those of us who, who look for this, we get to see some of it unfold. We don't always understand it. We don't always know it, but we get to trust it. You see, when we walk through difficulty, walk through disappointment or suffering, that's what God is doing. I know that's a weird thing to think about because you don't always feel that, but that's where God is. That's what he's doing. That's who he is. That's what God does. And I want us to know that because I want us to draw comfort in that, but I also want to ask the question, okay, that's what God's doing. Good to know, and may I take great comfort in that, that this is not for nothing, but what do we do? Because isn't that the hard question for us sometimes? Especially in churches, there's so many times where somebody's like, and God's got this, and you're like, okay, but you're still in it. Like you're still having to walk through this moment. You're still in the difficulty of life trying to find your way forward. I think that's what makes the hard question is, okay, that's what God's doing. I love that God's doing that. What do we do? What do I do with this right now? What about the moment that I'm in? Because the fog that I'm standing in is hard to make sense of sometimes. God works everything together for good, but we still have to walk through it in pain, difficulty, disappointment, hardship, suffering, whatever word fits right for you. It's hard, isn't it? That's why I think back to the video when Miles said that that season when it all kind of fell apart was one of the hardest, or he uses the exact phrase, one of the darkest moments in his journey with God. And there was hurt there. You could see that in him as he was trying to, to even express that. That was a difficult season that he walked through. And that's because in those moments, think of your own life. They're hard, aren't they? It's tough to walk through them. And yet, while God's doing his thing that we don't always see and don't always understand, we're, there's a part of us looking going, okay, what do we do? What do you do when it all falls apart? Thinking of your own life. What do you do when the thing that you are moving towards, the thing that you are holding in your hand that matters to you actually falls apart, the thing you've been working toward isn't there anymore? What do you do when the thing that you've been hoping in or hoping for or treasuring up doesn't happen? For you, think about that. What is it that you do? What do you do when the relationship that you have been investing yourself into, pouring yourself into, suddenly is over? It's not there anymore? good, bad, wrong, right? That's what you're staring at now? What do you do when you get called to an office that you walked confidently into a job the day before and then get called to an office to find out that's the last day you walk into it and you don't have a job anymore and now you have to walk back out? What do you do in that moment? For all of us, what do you do when you work so hard towards something because it's the thing that you wanted, maybe it's a thing, maybe it's something material, maybe it's a relationship or some passion in your life and you work so hard to get towards that, to get to it and then you finally get it and now you're standing there and you're holding it or you're in it or you have that relationship, you're in the midst of it and you're miserable or you feel empty or it feels like the solid thing you held now feels like pieces and you don't know what to do with it and it hurts. What do we do in those moments? God is working all things together for good. We can trust that. We can know that. We're still in the midst of this thing. See, that's the hard part about difficulty or pain or suffering. I think that's why as churches, sometimes people don't always relate to some of the things that we say where somebody's going through something and you're like, God is good all the time. God is good. And they're like, did you see me? Did you hear me? I'm in this right now. Is God good? Yes. Is he great? Yes. Is that true? Yes. Can we trust that? Yes. But does it always resonate in the midst of the confusion and the moment that we're in? No, it's hard sometimes. You know this. You feel this. If anybody's ever given you an answer like that in a moment where you were there, commence eye roll. Or if you're polite, you're just like, thanks, and you walk away. Because it's hard, friends. See, the hard part about difficulty and pain 
despite the fact that God works all things together for good, is that we still have to walk through it. That's the hard part, if we're honest. And so I want to talk about that today. As you move through this message this morning, that's what I want to talk about. It's the thing that we walk through. It's the process that we move through. And here's why. When you're in the middle of it, it feels like a fog, right? Suffering can feel like a fog in front of you and you can't see left from right. You don't know quite where you are. Disappointment can feel like it's like just a cloud that you're trying to make sense of. The emotions pop up and everything gets so confusing and it all feels so intense that you don't know how to make sense of anything in that moment and it can feel like it's all not for nothing. And yet my hope for you this morning is that each of us would see that there is a path that is there, even in the midst of difficulty. This isn't me trying to silver lining a moment or saying it's all fine and good and you're gonna, it's all going to be great and just smiling through it. It's me just trying to take a very honest look at this idea of suffering and pointing to a passage where we see a path. May you, friends, if you're in the midst of this, if this is what your life looks like right now, may you realize, may you see that amidst the cloud, amidst the fog, that there is a path before you because of a God who is working all things together for good. I hope this blesses you. And also, there's some of you in the room that are probably like, great, we're talking about suffering today. My life's going good. Like, I don't want to do this right now. I get that. Your life probably is going good. And I'm actually really excited that your life is going good. I want that for you. There's no part of me that's like, but I hope it gets better. Like, I, I love that it's good, guys. But there's somebody in here, somebody in your life, somebody that you know, who that's not where they are. And my hope would be that maybe we learn how to love each other a little better. Maybe learn how to walk through this with some wisdom and some insight. And that we all get to hold hope together. So let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter five as we start to look at this path. So Romans five is written by a guy named Paul. Paul's a really interesting human being. He's a really interesting human being. Paul was the great persecutor of the church. He persecuted the church so much that he actually murdered Christians. So he's like feared by the church. He's going around, he's doing all of this. On the road to Damascus, he gets, has this encounter with Jesus and he realizes the truth of who Jesus is, the power of what's there, and he realizes what grace and love really look like and he turns on a dime. That is a powerful transformation. The guy who goes from killing Christians goes to become one of the greatest missionaries in the entire New Testament. He goes and he plants churches. Paul has this passion to go where no Christian has existed before, to plant churches where one's never existed and to build communities of people and to start to do all these amazing things through this. And he does. Now, what's really important for us to know about Paul as we get to ready to read these words, because it would be tempting to write some of the words he's about to tell us off. It really would. would be, what's really important for us to know, Paul didn't live a charmed life. If you've studied Paul, you know this. Paul went through crazy things. Paul knows what it is to suffer. He does. He spent lengthy amounts of time in a prison. Not often the prisons like you and I think out of. Some of these prisons were nothing more than a deep hole dug in the ground that he was lowered into to do his time. It's not a great place. No prison's a great place. That'd be really difficult though, wouldn't it? He was almost killed on more than one occasion. There's one moment where he goes into a city because he wants to love the people there, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people there and start churches and things. And they turn on him in a moment and they start to hurl large boulders. Like in the Bible, being stoned is a totally different thing. They start to hurl these large boulders at him to the point that bloodied and bruised, he's unconscious and they drag him out of the city and leave him for dead. And he survives this moment. Why am I telling you this? Not to shock you. I just want you to know he knows what it is to suffer in ways that you and I, if we ever saw or witnessed any of these moments happening, we'd be like, oh my goodness, this is a lot. 
This is what he knows. And the reason that this is important to know is because that makes him a really good person to listen to when he says, I'm going to talk to you about suffering now. He talks about it not as one who's waxing analytical looking from the outside. He talks about it as one who it's been formed in, who knows, who has the depth of wisdom. And in Romans 5, Paul outlines a path or a process through suffering. It's that path that I want to highlight today, but let's read the passage. Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 3. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, if you're listening to that verse for perhaps the first time, I know we always listen to the Bible just like going, okay, what resonated with me or what did I hear? Here's what I don't want you to miss about that though. He walks through like this linear process. Did you see it? He walks through this clear thing, like this path, almost like a path in front of us. And because I don't want you to miss it, I want to articulate it back to you one more time. You start with suffering and suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope, right? You start with suffering and it produces what? Endurance, which then produces character, which then produces hope. When I talk about even amidst suffering, even amidst hard, hard times, there's a path. This is the path we're going to explore today. Let's start with suffering. I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say, in this life, you may find a moment where you suffer. In this life, for some of us, we might suffer. What does he say? No, we rejoice in suffering. He just assumes it happens. I don't know if you noticed that, but he just kind of states, it, it happens and here's what we do with it. It's not a suggestion, it's not an idea, and like something to ponder, and here's why. He knows what it is to be human, every single one of us. Just by being a human being, you're gonna have somebody in your life that is close enough to you that they can hurt you. Even some of the people who love you the most will hurt you the most, not because they hate you or want bad things, just we trip over ourselves sometimes. As human beings, we don't always get this thing right. You're going to have moments where the world hurts you. You're going to have moments where disappointment occurs. And each and every one of us, we only have a limited number of days that we live and walk upon this earth, which means you're going to lose somebody important in your life. I don't say that as like some downcast moment. It's just an honest thing. We will all know what it is to lose someone, and we will all be lost to somebody at some point. Suffering is a real thing. Hardship is a real thing that every human being eventually experiences in some way, shape, or form. And we all go through hard times, like it or not. And right from the beginning, when Paul talks about this, he says, we rejoice in our suffering. Now, if I'm honest, the first time I ever read that part of me was like, close the book, done with Paul. Really? Because it sounds like some nonsense, does it not? If you guys are like, no, it's in the Bible, so it's not nonsense. Yes, it does. It sounds like nonsense. And the reason why is if you've ever been around a person it all, like, who, who does this, there's a part where you're like, what's wrong with you? right? There's a part of, it sounds like Paul's telling us to love it when things are terrible, right? Like as if I were to fall right now, break my arm, bone sticking out, and I look and I'm like, yes, woo! You would look at me like I was nuts, right? If, if suddenly I like, I got broken up with, and I have the heartbreak of that whole experience, right? And how that feels inside and all of those things. And I was suddenly like, it's amazing. Everything, woo, I am rejoicing as we speak. You'd be like, you're a liar, if we just reflected even on the fact that like, okay, you see COVID case counts go back up and 30% of your office is out and you don't know what to do with kids and it still feels crazy. And you're standing there being like, it's awesome all the time. Woo, I am rejoicing. We'd all be like, I need you to leave. 
Because it's a lot. And it's weird. It doesn't make sense. It's not quite right. This isn't a moment where Paul is saying to be filled with delight because bad things are happening. What is he saying, though? What does he mean when he says we rejoice in sufferings? Here's what Paul's saying. He's not saying rejoice when bad things happen. He's saying that we can take joy in the fact that when we suffer, it's not for nothing. We can take joy in the fact that though hard and though not okay and though difficult, when we walk through these moments, when we experience these things, God uses these things to forge something in us and through us that we could not get any other way amidst and in our lives that there's purpose in it, that, that there's process in it. It's not a moment to say that bad thing that happened, that should have happened to you. That's awesome, that's great, and I'm glad that happened to you. Rejoice, it's not that. It's to say that in the process of suffering, in the act of going through it itself, that there's something in that that becomes a kind of goodness that you can't get any other way. Suffering does something in our lives. I want you to hear me. Suffering does something in our lives that nothing else does, and you can't skip around it to get it. Anybody who's walked through something difficult knows this is true. Anybody who's ever nodded their head like they knew what life held and then they experienced what life held and now knows it in a completely different way, you know that this is true. It produces endurance, which produces character, which results in a life holding an honest and true kind of hope. Friends, even here, even now, I want to share this with you. I want you to hear this. If you're in the midst of a cloud of suffering, if you can't see what the path is in front of you and you're wondering what just happened because it feels like it's all falling apart, even here and even now, God is using your suffering. God is using the experience of even you walking through this to take you somewhere, to grow you somehow, to teach you what you could not otherwise learn, that even in the difficulty of suffering, there is purpose and potential. Why? Because we have a God who works all things together for good. We may not like this all the time, but it's no less true. And anyone who pauses to take an honest look at their own life and see what has been grown in them can look back and go, that was the worst of things, and yet there's something forged in me through that that I couldn't have gotten any other way. Think of Jesus. When we talk about this, this is important to, to think of Jesus in this particular moment. What makes Jesus so powerful what makes his love so deep, what makes it such a real thing that we are still calling to mind, that we're still celebrating, that we're still relishing the person and work of Jesus Christ, isn't just that he came and he did beautiful things. It's, it's the book of Hebrews that tells us that he was tempted in every way, just like we were, that he suffered as we have suffered, that he knows what it was like to be with us, so much so that we relish in the fact that he died upon a cross. Have you ever thought about how weird it is that the symbol of Christianity is a first century torture symbol, torture instrument designed for humiliation and degradation? And we're like wearing it on our neck, like, isn't this beautiful? Isn't it precious? It's weird. But it's not, is it? Because nothing is ever wasted in God's economy, even something so dark and horrible that nobody should ever have to walk through it, like the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and a death on a cross. Is it terrible? Yes. Would we want anybody to ever go through that? No. Should we aim for it? No. And yet, one of the most powerful symbols and experiences of love and grace and compassion and do we not treasure that moment ourselves? Do you see the complexity here? No moment is wasted in God's economy, even the suffering of the cross. And he's our model. This is true for our lives as well. Friends, the problem is you can know that, but when you're in it, you can't see it. See, that's the hard part. Your brain knows all these really good things, and then you're in the middle of something, and you can't see any of it because you're in the fog of suffering. 
That's why the step to take, and if you're in the midst of this, if you're in a place where you really are in that fog of suffering and you're saying, look, I, I like that we're talking about it, but this is me right now. This is where I am. If you're in the midst of it, here's your step. If you're in that place where you can't see around you, the step is this. Hold to faith despite what you can't see. In suffering, hold on to faith. Because you can't see. Because you don't know. Because it doesn't make sense. Because the answers don't work. And in holding something, hold on to a God who works all things together for good, even though you can't see it and don't understand it yet and may not see it for some time. Hold on to a God who's using even this in your life to bring about the good that he has for you, for us. See, the reason we hold on to faith is because in the middle of suffering, we aren't able to see an answer. Like I said, struggle's like a fog that you can't see through. And that's why I wanna caution you with something too. If this is the stage that you are in in this whole path that we're talking about today and you're in this particular moment, this isn't the time to search for answers. We should remember Answers aren't easily found in the middle of a fog. Your step in suffering is to be right where you are. Hold on to faith and walk through it. Some of you would look at me and say, that's the cruelest thing on the planet that you could possibly tell me because this hurts so bad. And I would look and I would say, I know, and I'm sorry. But it's also true. We live in a culture where we're constantly looking for the three things that will alleviate my pain instantly. The three steps to get out of this. The four steps to be rich. If I would just do this, then all of my problems go away. But we know better. There are some things we have to walk through. There are some things that are in front of us that you can't run from. There are moments of suffering that are ours to walk through. Do we aim at suffering? No. Are we masochists? No. Is this what we really want for our lives? No. And yet when the moment arrives and you're in that fog, hold to faith. Be where you are and make your way through. That's the first step that's in here. Sometimes answers aren't anywhere to be found. After my first daughter was born, we were so excited because we found out shortly thereafter, I think it was like nine months, a year after, that we were pregnant again. My wife was pregnant again, and you get, we got so excited. Uh, my first daughter, absolute joy, and we're so excited for this new little life. We start to tell everybody, and we start to think through like the other room in our house and how we're gonna, what we're gonna do with this and how we're gonna make this happen. And, and, and there's just so much warmth and enthusiasm and celebration, and then we went to the one sonogram appointment that didn't go well, and we realized we were about to step into the middle of miscarriage and began that process that week as my wife's body started to stop being pregnant. It's so hard. It's this weird thing that nobody talks about. People are embarrassed to talk about it. And in those moments, it's one of those things where you look and you're like, I need an answer to this thing and there's no good answer to be found. People try to give you an answer. The answer they try to give you is don't worry, you're normal. This is one in five pregnancies. That means it's 20%. And there's a part of me that looks at that and I'm like, well, that's, that's comforting to know. But you know what that doesn't answer? It doesn't answer, but why is this happening to me right now? You still have to face that and you still have to walk through it. And so we did. And we were so sad and disappointed and hurting and frustrated and all of the things. And there wasn't an answer to be found that made sense if that makes any sense of this. It was just fog. I remember at that point in time, some really well-intended people wanting to do good and wanting to give me an answer because they hated that we didn't have an answer came up to try to provide one. I want to share a couple of quotes that were shared from actual people with me at that point in time. One person looked at me and said, well, just know that that little one wasn't meant for you. I got mad. I didn't show it. I just smiled. I knew that we do weird things sometimes, guys. We say weird things when we don't know what to do. You know this. We all do. But it hurt, because why? 
And why are we going through this in this way? Another person came up to me and said, that just means God has something better for you guys. What? I don't, I don't want better. I, I, we wanted this. This is where we were. Like, what? Sure, I mean, I believe that. I know that, like, in a theological sense. But I'm in the fog right now, and that answer missed me. The last one that I'm going to share with you confused me, and I just don't even know where to categorize it. The person came to me and said, though the loss is difficult now, just know that there'll be another crown for you in heaven someday. And I looked at them. I don't like wearing a suit. I don't want a crown. I I just, I mean, really, there's this part. I get the biblical illustration. I understand what's being conveyed. I know what it means in the first century. But when somebody tells me that there's a crown in heaven for me, I'm like, that just sounds like a heavy hat that's going to give me a headache. And if I ever did want one of those, why do I need more than one? Like, am I going to get to heaven and there's a whole shelf of crowns and we're having like a crown comparing party? I'm out. Like, that just sounds like an opportunity to Marie Kondo my life, right? What is this? I didn't even have a place to put that. (laughs) And they were well-intended, I promise. They didn't mean to hurt me, they meant to bless me and they were just trying to provide an answer. But the hard part is when you're in a difficult situation, an easy answer never seems to do. And it just didn't work. If you're in the middle of suffering, your task isn't to search for answers in a fog. Don't look for answers when it's the time you can't see. It's to be where you are. It's to hold on to faith and it's to make your way through. And friends, can I say a message for all of us or just say something to every person in this room because this will all help us in those moments when we're all going through it or somebody in our lives is going through it. Just really overtly try not to give an easy answer to somebody going through a difficult situation unless you want them to feel unseen. Just be with them. Just put your arm around them. Sit in a chair with them and just say, I'm sorry and I'm gonna be here. And I can't tell you how far that goes. Okay, back to Romans 5. And now we move to endurance, right? Paul says, we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. Next step. The Greek idea of endurance, we need to talk about this because we we think of this a little different, isn't just like putting your head down and getting through. The Greek idea of endurance, it's the capacity to bear the weight of something that would have otherwise crushed you, right? It's, it's the idea of continuing despite difficult circumstances. It's the idea of remaining standing when something could have knocked you down and now you're holding it because you've carried it because you have it. It's this idea of endurance. That's why when we talk about endurance running, even now, think about this. When we talk about endurance running, what is endurance running essentially? It is running so far that you push, push past your body's signals, what your brain is telling you, stop. You should have stopped like a long time ago and your body is like, why are you doing this? And it's because there's something more and you want to show that you have the strength to carry it across the finish line and attain the goal, right? That's why it's endurance running. It's that moment when your life falls apart. You look at this and you see it and then you fight to rebuild it anew and you don't know how it's going to end up and you don't know what to do with it but you know that your life matters and that you're not going to sit this one out. You're going to carry this moment. It's the moment you lose a job and you start going through interview after interview after interview again and again because there's a part of you that just knows that like this matters and I need to, I need to work through this. I need to carry this I need to bear the weight of it right now as I move forward because my life matters. It's when you keep showing up as a parent despite how frustrating maybe this last season of life has been or wherever you happen to be with that child that you are trying to love or that kid with that parent that you are trying to love because there's something that matters so much to you that you'd bear this, that you'd carry it, that you'd keep pressing on. It's when you fail at something 
and you actually fail at something and you know it and you realize that it wasn't your end and that you were still standing and somehow you're making your way through, which is one of the most powerful lessons life teaches you. If you're a student, it's when you're in the middle of studying to get the grade or to accomplish something and you're not there yet and you're hoping it's worth it and so you're fighting your way forward. Endurance. It's, it's what our culture started calling grit, right? In the last couple of years here, there's been a lot of research and a lot of talk about this word grit. It's the substance of, of being able to make your way through and show up and rise to difficulty and face things and walk through them. And it is a precious gift in your life, friends. Anybody who's ever worked in a place where somebody thought things should come easy and didn't realize they had to work through hard moments, you look and you're like, oh, this is going to be tough, Right? Anytime you've ever looked at life that way, there's something about people who know what it is to walk through, to strive and to struggle through, but to still bear it, to endure through it, to make your way because something matters more. That becomes a very powerful thing in this life. Ask anyone who's been in a relationship for a long time, how did you do it? And we're usually like, what were the three you know, P's to success? I don't even know what that means. But like, right? We usually like, so what were the steps you took? It's a lot of love and a lot of endurance. Because you keep showing up to the table, you keep working through moments, you keep looking each other in the eyes and committing to move forward in this life together. And it's hard at times, and yet there's a power to a relationship like that, isn't there? There's something that leans in and be, where we want to lean in and, be, and learn from those people. Or I'm always humbled when I get to talk to somebody who's lost somebody, who is close to them in their lives. And it's, you may not realize this, but they talk differently. And they look at life differently. It's almost like somebody who knows what it is to carry that kind of loss and know that they can walk through it and stand up under it. They even face their own lives in a different way, and it's a powerful thing. That endurance is a powerful quality. I want you to look at your own life for a moment, right? The good things have, in your life, they have blessed you, and they've been good for you, but it's because of the struggle you've walked through that you now know your strength. It is. It's because of the difficulty that you face that you bring in your past that you now bring resilience to your future. Endurance forges something in us that cannot be otherwise forged. It builds a kind of strength that we rely upon that we trust. And it becomes a gift to our lives. Ready for a weird story? <laughs> I went to college when a movie Fight Club came out. And I don't know if any of you remember that or have seen that. You don't need to. The point is, is that during that season, a whole bunch of young people, especially like young groups of guys, for whatever reason, went out and bought boxing gloves and decided to have parties where they beat each other up in a backyard. And I thought that that was a little strange at that particular point in time. And what was even more strange is that when I went to my small Midwest Bible college in the middle of Chicago, one Thursday each month, they got boxing gloves out and had fight night on the floor. And the reason why, in the lounge, in the middle of our dorms. And the reason why that was so fascinating is because nothing says love your neighbors, you love yourself, and turn the other cheek like punching someone square in the face. And I was a little confused by this. They're like, yeah, Thursday nights, it's fight night, and it's once a month, and here's what we do. There are three rules, and these are non-negotiable. First rule, match is only going to last 60 seconds. Second rule is that if it turns personal, it's over. Third rule, if the elected ref wants to break this up at any point in time, it's over. And so these people, I went to a school where you could not go there unless you were training to be in vocational ministry, you guys. So these are people training to be missionaries, pastors, Sunday school people, like all the things, right? This is who's in my dorm. Most of them have never been in a fight. Half of them have never been in a fight with anyone but their siblings, like on that, because they didn't even have another option growing up. Like, this is where we are. And if you're thinking in your head that what I was about to see in those moments was boxing or MMA, wipe it clean. This was K-1. 
chaos. It was haymakers, windmills, and the flailing of arms. Nobody blocked or protected themselves. There were lots of people who just got hit in the face repeatedly and didn't know any better. And at the end of this, the ref would walk up and they'd grab somebody's hand and be like, the winner. And then the loser would just stand there trying to figure out what just happened. And they'd repeat the process until everybody was too tired. I remember watching this the first time going, what just happened? Like, what was this? It was crazy. And I watched a guy get punched in the face several times. And then finally he's like, okay. And then they're cheering and hugging it out and everybody's fine. The next morning, I had a lot of questions. I'm in the dorm bathroom and I'm, I'm, you know, washing my face, brushing my teeth, doing the things. And the guy who lost the previous night before is standing next to me at a sink. And I just look over at him like, hey man, how are you doing today? And he's like, pretty good. And I said, yeah, how was that for you last night? Is that the first time you've ever done that? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, so how, how was that? And then he paused and he said something that was actually incredibly insightful which I was not expecting. And he said, you know, my entire life, I've always wondered if I find myself in a situation where I, I get hit or where I, something difficult happens and I get punched or I get knocked down, I've always just kind of been afraid maybe I won't have the ability to stand back up again or maybe I won't have the ability to keep going. And he goes, I lost real bad last night. He's like, but I kept going. That guy walked differently for like a month after that. Now let's all pause, because some of you are like, are you encouraging church fight nights? No, no. But this is what it's getting at with endurance. And I mean this, think about this. I want you to think of your life for just a second. When was the moment in life that life threw punches at you and hit you squarely and maybe even knocked you down? I'm, I know this is a weird way to think about it, but also true. When was the moment where life threw some punches at you? And something really hard happened and you found yourself before that moment going, I don't know if I can bear this. I don't even know if I can carry it. I think I might get knocked down here. And yet, here you now are because you learned to stand up again. You learned that you could do something really difficult. This is the product of endurance, friends. If you're in the midst of endurance, it's a different step than suffering. Suffering, well, you don't need to figure everything out. Just be where you are, hold on to faith, make your way through. But if you're in the step of this that's endurance, step in with eyes wide open. Look around to see the strength that God has built in you. Look around to see a God who's with you through these moments so that you can learn the strength of what he can do through you when you can't even bring yourself to acknowledge that you could do this yourself. Look to see the way he partners, the way he shows up. Look to see what's, what you learned. When you look back at those moments in your life where life hit you, where you fell down, and maybe where you stood back up again. What grew in you? What did you grow in through that? What did you learn through that experience that you couldn't have learned any other way? What was forged in you along the way that now is a kind of strength that you get to bring to this life where you now stand? Endurance is a powerful, powerful quality, friends. The step in endurance is eyes wide open because you're about to learn a bunch just through the process of doing something hard of carrying it, of knowing it, and that's being forged in you. And that brings us to the next one this morning, and that's character. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. That word character in the actual Greek, there's a lot of confusion around this word, I realized. In the actual Greek, it's the idea of knowing that something is genuine and true because of your experience with it. 
Characters, when you've tested something because you've actually engaged with it, had experience, used it to, to the degree that you now know what it is. So in our particular instance, character can be defined this way. It's when you come to learn who you really are because of the things you've had to work through and go through in your actual life. Character can't be, sh- there's no shortcut to character. You can't jump to it. Character can't be found because you watch somebody else and now you can describe the attributes of character that you think that person had. That means you know it in your head, but you don't know it in you yet. Character is forged in the fires of our own life experience. It's built in us through the process of endurance as it chisels away and we come to know who God really made us to be. This is what character is. My mom's always told me this, this quote that never really made sense to me until I started to study this. My mom's always said, you know, I loved once my 40s began in my life. She's like, it was like a whole new phase of life for me. And I said, why? Because I was trying to think back, like, what's the significant thing that happened in my mom's 40s? Like, I was there. What was it, you know? And she looks and she goes, I'd lived long enough to know who I wasn't or who I really was so that I could stop spending so much time being who I wasn't. And that felt really good and gave me a new kind of confidence. Initially, I was like, what a cool life lesson. What I'm realizing is she's talking about building up character as you stand now and you bring the confidence of who God created you to be. It's Miles in his story, continuing to live and work as an engineer as God builds all of these amazing things into him and grows him even as a human and then so that now as he stands squarely in the midst of being an executive pastor here, we reap the blessing of all of that learning, of all of that understanding as he stands confidently in who God's made him to be. I love it. It's amazing to watch that in his story. We get to see it in the video. God is constantly using the difficult things we walk through in this life, friends, to teach us who he's made us to be. So if you're in the stage of this where you're looking and you're like, I think the place that I'm in is this character moment, the step for you is to stand in that confidently. The step is to know what's been forged in you through endurance, to know what you're capable of bearing, to know that God is with you and does not forsake you because he never has, to know that amidst all of that, you now get to stand in the fullness of it as you step into the next piece of your life or whatever this situation holds. Don't be tossed back and forth like the wind because you're firm, because you know. It's a powerful thing. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And this is so important, because friends, we need hope. I, I think this is important because we're a little short on this at moments in our own life right now, just because of fatigue, of a lot of things that have happened in places, and our world needs hope. And here we are as the church. When someone holds real hope, it's incredibly powerful. When someone holds real hope, not masked hope, not artificial hope, not an easy answer that sounds like the right thing for the right moment, when someone holds real hope, it is incredibly powerful. It's not an easy answer because they're uncomfortable around pain, or rather it's a statement from their depths forged out of the experiences of their lives. It's not an avoidance of just trying to get out of a situation. It's a stepping into the middle of a moment and bringing the substance of who they are to it as they hold on to Christ and say, this is what I have my hope in. This is what my life looks like for me because I've walked it, because I'm in it, and I found it to be true. Real hope is a powerful thing. And friends, we live in a world that doesn't need another easy answer. It doesn't need another memorized moment. It needs the genuine hope of God who works all things together for good because a genuine group of people have lived with enough audacity and patience and endurance and boldness to experience it as a real thing for themselves so that we have something firm to hold and give away. It needs the truth of Jesus Christ, the hope of Jesus Christ, not a cultural saying or a thing that people put on the wall or a thing on Facebook or something like that, but a life lived in experience 
because you've walked through some things. And something's been forged in you that's so true that it allows you to hold the hope of Christ in a new way. That's a gift for somebody around you, friends. That's why my prayer for each of us as we move to the close of the series is that no matter whatever difficulty we face, whatever hardship we're in, whatever fog we currently find ourselves in, my hope, my prayer for each of us is that you would make your way through the fog, that you would see the path that is in front of you, and that you'd find yourself through endurance, through character, through the whole process, holding hope in a more firm and more beautiful way. And I don't say that to you, by the way, as individuals. I hope that for you as individuals. I say that to you as the church. This world needs a church of a group of people who collectively hold hope together because the experience of Christ is true and real. Our step, if you're, if you're in the place where you're like, I think where I'm at right now, whatever I might be, is in this hope place, then your step is to hold firmly the hope for yourself and hold it for somebody else too. There was a moment in that whole miscarriage story for my wife and I amidst a lot of voices who meant well and wanted to bless us with an answer but just where those things fell flat, there was one person who loved us in an extraordinary way, loved me in particular in an extraordinary way. Their voice was just like calming, salve. It was like peace. And I remember a specific moment, I walked away from this conversation and I felt so incredibly empowered. See, this particular friend of mine had walked through not one miscarriage, but several, not one, not two, not three, I mean, lots all at different stages of pregnancy. They had been through it. I'd watched them do this over time been there, seen the hurt, seen what they journeyed through. And I remember I walked, it was here at church, I walked out onto the campus, out into the courtyard on one particular Sunday, and she walks right up to me, and she says, Ryan, I heard what you're going through, and I just want you to know that I am so sorry. And I didn't really want to deal with any of that in the middle of our campus at that particular moment. I said, I know, yeah, thank you, I appreciate that. And she said, no, I really am, I'm sorry. I want you to know that what you're walking through isn't okay and it doesn't need to be okay right now, and that that's, that's normal and that that's fine. And she said, but I also want you to know that you're not alone, and that as someone who loves you, I want you to hear me when I tell you it's not okay, but it's going to be okay. And if, I know that might sound like an easy answer. It wasn't, friends. Because forged from the fires of her own experience was a kind of endurance and the strength that she'd carried and the kind of life that she had worked through and the kind of knowledge that she now had as she stood in the full character that she held and she was firmly holding hope because she'd, she'd learned to grip it. She'd learned to hold it fiercely and it was like a powerful thing in her life. And in a moment where I was in the middle of fog and couldn't see left from right, there was a piece where her holding that hope, she looked at me as though to say, you can hold my hope too. And she just wrapped her arms around me and I cried. It was so powerful. I think it was the first moment that I stopped feeling stuck and I started to feel like I don't know what this is and I can't see straight, but I know that God works all things together for good and that there is path and purpose even still and it's not okay right now. Holding hope is such a powerful thing and our world needs that. That's why, friends, I want you to know that life, your life is not for nothing. I want you to know that you in your life are not for nothing, that only you will live the life that God created you to live. And I want you to know that as you live it, the hard things, the difficult moments, all the stuff that you walk through, that even it is not for nothing. So that as you journey through suffering rather than trying to escape it, 
as you make your way through the thing that's in front of you and that gets forged in you with endurance and strength and you come to see who God is in your life and you come to see what he's made in you so that you can stand more confidently as you, you can hold hope in Christ in a way that the world actually needs. Not as a saying, not as a thing on a wall, but something in you that is powerful and true so that when the person sitting next to you is in the middle of a fog, we as the church get to say, we see you. And even if you can't see it, hold our hope. Let us come alongside you and hold our hope, friends. I want you to know God isn't done with you yet. If you're in the middle of this yourself, I want you to know that God's not done with you yet. He's not done with any of us. You're here. That's enough. And so here this morning is the church, can I tell you, we hold the hope of Christ together. We will hold it with you And in the moments those of you struggle to continue to hold it, we will hold it for you, forged to the fires of our own life. Because we believe that when it's all said and done and Christ has truly worked all things together for good, that we will resoundingly be able to declare, it's going to be okay.